Welcome to a new episode of the Vital Point Podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I just want to pause for a moment and say thank you. You know, today's episode feels like a milestone in several ways. The first one being today's guest, Laura Dawn, somebody that is an inspiration to me, somebody that inspired me to do this podcast in the first place. So that feels like a big milestone. But it's also uh, the time of year where Spotify sends out data on um, the audience and on milestones for the podcast itself. And it is incredibly humbling and um, gratifying to check that out, um, to see that we are within the top 10% most shared podcasts and to see how many um, people, you know, this is a top podcast or top five podcast or a top 10 podcast. And I just want to say thank you. You know, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, without you, I'm just talking into a microphone. And, you know, my goal with this podcast is to to help, to help people transform their lives and get them inspired to go and practice and, you know, about the potential that's inside of them. So to see those stats is super, super gratifying. And I just wanted to mention, if you haven't left a review um, on Spotify or uh, Apple, um, please, it really helps out, you know, keep sharing the podcast. It was really cool to see top 10% most shared podcast. Wow. Like that's amazing. And um, yeah, if you haven't already subscribed to the YouTube channel, go ahead and do that so that you can get notified on all the new episodes that are coming out because I already have like eight new episodes that are already recorded, just, um, you know, editing them <laughs> when I can. So yeah, really excited about today's episode. Um, my guest is Laura Dawn, like I said, uh, huge inspiration to me. And when it comes to self-development, no matter the method that you're using, the vital point is to practice. You know, one of the things that Laura Dawn and I talk about on this podcast episode is embodiment. And that's what this show is really about. You know, it's not just about learning about, um, you know, something like in a book or, you know, passively, uh, consuming, it's to inspire you to go and try these things, go and put them into practice, you know, because these methods can transform your life. You know, that's why it's called the vital point because the vital point is to practice. And you have the potential to grow into something more amazing than you could possibly believe. That potential is inside of you right now. And there are methods that you can use to do that. And that's what this podcast is about. So if this is your first time here, welcome um, or welcome back. I'm your host, Jonathan Schechter. I'm a psychedelic integration and transformation coach specializing in using breathwork to help people gain clarity, um, be able to regulate their nervous system, and to be able to go deeper in their work with plant medicines and psychedelics. And I'm also an enthusiast of personal growth. You know, this isn't just a curiosity for me. A lot of the people that I talk to on this podcast or the methods that they are working with are things that I'm a big fan of, you know, that I've practiced myself and that have helped me on my own personal journey and my own healing path. And so it's just such an honor to be able to share them with you, 
you know, if one person listens to this and is like, you know what, I'm going to go and try meditation or I'm going to go and have more intention when I'm sitting with medicine because, you know, it can transform my life, then that feels amazing, you know? And so the, the, there's never been more access to so many incredible modalities that can help you on your journey. And I hope to showcase them through this podcast, you know, and help you learn about new methods that you can use in your life and give you actual practices that you can follow and share stories from people that are doing the work so that you feel inspired to go practice because that's the vital point. And my guest on today's podcast episode is Laura Dawn. She's the host of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast and founder and director of Grow Medicine. She has a master's in science, specializing in creativity studies and change leadership, and is at the forefront of exploring the intersection between psychedelics and creative cognition for leadership development. Laura Dawn has developed a new framework called Psychedelic-Oriented Leadership Development, offering a new model and curriculum for psychedelic preparation and integration for ceremonially informed leadership development. Through her retreats and signature programs, she helps leaders, teams, entrepreneurs, and peak performers cultivate the mindsets and skill set to unlock innovative solutions to the complex challenges we collectively face and become more flexible, adaptable, and resilient in the face of exponential change. And it was just such a pleasure to talk with her. Hope you enjoy this episode as well. All right, Laura Dawn, welcome to The Vital Point. Hi, so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being on. So there's so much that I feel like um, so many different directions that this conversation could go in. Um, I wanted to dive right in in terms of talking about something that's come up for me this week as I've been kind of researching a little bit more of your work and thinking about what I wanted to talk about on the podcast. And that's the idea of right relationship. So, um, you know, I know that you are the founder of Grow Medicine, and that's, I'm sure, a big part of your life right now. And that right relationship is definitely something that Grow Medicine is really focused on. So could we just start with what you feel? Like if somebody said, what is right relationship? How would you Mm -hmm. answer that? Yeah, thanks for that question, Jonathan. And it's it is simple and yet really profound at the same time. And it's interesting to look at the ways that a lot of different cultures all over the world have different ways of relating to this concept. It's like a core foundational concept in many different indigenous cultures. And also um, there's a very similar parallel concept of Ho'oponopono in Hawaiian culture. I spent the last um, 10 years of my life on the big island of Hawaii. And so when I think about right relationship, it's really about how do we stay in harmonious alignment with within ourselves, but also between each other and between our relationship to this earth. And so I, and when you look at the translation and again, you know, I'll just share my, my understanding of it. So I'm not trying to like take someone else's teachings here. I want to be sensitive about that. Um, And from different uh, Kumus that I've worked with on the big Island, when they explain 
Ho'oponopono, ho'o is ultimate. It's like the highest. And pono is alignment. So we have ho'o, like ultimate, alignment, alignment. And that's really kind of how I think about right relationship is like, are we showing up in a harmonious way within ourselves, between each other, how we communicate? It makes me think of integrity. It makes me think of the fundamental understanding and embodying the awareness and the knowingness that we're all connected, that if I, you know, harm someone else or something else or pollute the waters that I'm polluting the waters in my own being, that we're all connected. So there's this understanding of like a deep, deep intertwined interconnection with all living things and all living beings on this planet. And Part of right relationship to me and just the way that I personally internalize it is how do I show respect, you know, and and sometimes it's not about doing the thing or saying the thing. Sometimes it is. But a lot of times it's a way of showing up. It's a way of standing. It's a way of paying attention. It's a, a deep embodiment of of a knowing and a reverence for life that is actually embodied in a, a deep sense of humility and so, you know, there's a lot of, of interrelated concepts here, respect and humility and reverence and, um, and alignment, alignment. And I would say integrity is another piece of that. Like, how am I showing up? Am I showing up with integrity in how I act and how I lead and how I speak? And is there alignment, you know, between the actions that I'm taking and the words that I'm saying and the thoughts and the beliefs that I have? Is that is that in, in alignment and am I in right relationship to myself, you know? And I think that there's this, this core invitation and that the medicines point, you know, really show us that way is like, how do we get right with ourselves first and foremost, you know, and, and we need to be honest with ourselves. It's like, we need to be honest with ourselves about ourselves and who we are. And that's a, a way to, to step into right relationship with ourselves first and foremost. And when we get right with ourselves and we lead with that sense of, of centered alignment, you know, not forcing or not denying, not pushing, not striving, but also not like repressing, but just being very centered in who we are. So, you know, there's also like a deep somatic embodiment aspect of how I conceptualize right relationship. Um, you know, I like to think in terms of Venn diagrams for people who listen to my podcast, I, I say that all the time, you know, it's like if we threw up a Venn diagram, somatic embodiment would be, and somatic awareness would definitely be a part of that, um, that understanding. And for me, I think the main teacher that I've had, I mean, I, I've definitely have elders and indigenous elders in my life and also, um, yeah, just various elders that I admire and respect. And also I've learned about right relationship first and foremost from my plant medicine teachers. And it's something that I'm still learning and will always be, you know, bowing at that altar of, of understanding and exploring the wisdom of what right relationship really is and how it impacts and radiates and influences, you know, every single aspect of our lives. Hmm. Such a great answer. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I really liked you bringing up the the humility because um, I think there's, you know, in, inherently in humility, there's being um, a student, being curious mm -hmm. and being open to learning rather than mm -hmm. feeling like you have all the answers. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. There's, there's one other thing too that, yeah, just, there's like, I'm just, it's such a big question to unpack. And there's just one other like major piece that I would put because I was just interviewing a friend and an elder and an, uh, an indigenous elder, um, Mindahi Bastida, who I was just with in Colombia. We were visiting with the Kogis and the Mamos there. And he would say that there's a, a and, and I very much so agree that there's a deep intertwined relationship between right relationship, that concept and sacred reciprocity, you know, and what it means to be in balance. And that's, I pointed to it when I said harmony, but like, how do we stay in that balance of giving and receiving, you know, in our relationship to the earth and to each other and to ourselves, you know, like if we're overworking and depleting, depleting, depleting and not filling up our own cup, it's like that's out of balance. So, you know, I think a lot about like harmonious alignment and resonant alignment and also that that deep sense of balance and between each other. And if we keep just taking from the earth and taking, 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 which is what's been happening, we're really out of balance. There's like a deep sense of, of disequilibrium. So this notion of, of sacred reciprocity and speaking and listening, you know, giving and receiving, paying attention, having a conversation where there's that, that back and forth. Yeah, that, that's that's something that was coming up for me a lot this week was just the, you know, really meditating on how how much of what I feel right relationship is, especially in relation to plant medicine, is is uh, is receiving and is being open to that mm -hmm. receiving. And even thinking about like the language that we use around like maybe non-intentional psychedelics, like taking LSD or like taking a trip, mm -hmm. you know, you're taking mm -hmm. rather than the receiving. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, I was talking about it with my partner in regards to like, she's been working with, with, um, with Hoppe for some time. And she's kind of gotten to this place where she's like, I feel like I'm not in right relationship with it. I'm taking it, I'm using it for a certain thing. And then it got to like, it was like, it sort of made me start to go down this rabbit hole of like, well, we can, we can take food, you know, we, we can use it in a non-intentional way. We can use it to numb out. We can use right. tobacco in that way. Um, all the th sort of things that we, uh, you know, alcohol and, and caffeine and the things that we're taking, mm -hmm. we're not using in this ritualistic um, way of openness and of receiving versus mm -hmm. um, the plant medicines where we're really like open and, and if we're open and receiving, then all of a sudden we're open to, you know, all the gifts and, and the growth that can come out of, of using them. Right. You know, and you, you point to something that I think is sort of the, the core aspect here is the sense of just extreme disconnection and people are so far removed from the earth. They're so far removed from our food source. So when you go into a food aisle in a grocery store or in the meat section or, you know, and you're just taking, you know, you're not, there is not inherently part of that system attending to like we pay. So we're in this monetary exchange where it's like, I go to the cash register and I give money for it. So it's like a, a, a falsified misconception that we're giving something back, but 
right relationship is about it's relational it's not transactional you know and that's what reciprocity is is and that's something i've i've learned quite a lot from uh sutton king who i've worked with she's part of the indigenous medicine conservation fund and grow medicine is a project of the fund and i'm, I'm so proud to be part of of their organization and leading grow medicine but it it really is so interesting to think about it in that way that like you know, if you're going to eat chicken, it's helpful to like actually have an experience where you're tending to that relationship, you know, and uh, for 10 years on the big island of Hawaii, we would grow chickens and receive eggs from those chickens and we would tend to them and visit them and feed them in the morning. And the same thing with plant medicines, you know, growing your own medicine, you're waking up and I would sing to my plants and tend to them and water them if they needed water. And same with fruit trees. And, you know, if there's like no rain for a week, you got to like give that energy and give that back. And, mm. and it's the same with, you know, understanding it's like when you live off grid, it's just, it, it, it builds into your conscious awareness and your perceptual field of awareness, a different level of understanding of how much water are you using? And we would rely on rain catchment, you know? And so it's like, is it raining a lot? Are you paying attention? You're in conversation with the elements and in connection, deep, deep connection with the elements, like on a daily basis, it hasn't rained in a week. How much water is in the catchment tank? How much are we using right now? Let's be mindful, you know, and the same thing with the solar panels and the sun. And, and I think that that's the same, you know, with, with medicine, it's like not that many people make their own ayahuasca, not that many people grow their own psilocybin. So it's just like a an additional example of how we take and we use words like, oh, I, you know, I took ayahuasca this weekend, you know, and, and I do think we need to be mindful of that, actually. And this is part of the inspiration behind grow medicine is like, how can I make it really easy for people um, to, you know, by telling a narrative and educating, but also building something that's beautiful, beautifully aesthetic, you know, a, a beautifully built brand that's easy to, to, um, to read and to, to digest because, you know, the, the reality is, is that encouraging people to be in reciprocity and to, to give back or to make a donation to plant medicine conservation is, you know, it's kind of a hurdle. So it was like the vision was like, how do we make this really easy for people to want to bring it into their lives as a method to invite people to step towards being in deeper harmonious alignment with medicines, with the conservation of the medicines, but really first and foremost with the people who have been tending to these plants for a very, very long time who are actually really asking for support and for help. You know, it's like when you drink ayahuasca, if you're in San Francisco and you sit in an ayahuasca circle, you're immediately part of a global ayahuasca community. And that includes, you know, being neighbors with people that are in different parts of the world who have been tending to these plants for a long time, who are working very hard to defend their sacred territories because the government is taking it away from them and they're being displaced. And, you know, so it's really understanding like what, what is reciprocity on a whole different level? What is right relationship? And, and also understanding what is plant medicine conservation. It's not just making sure that there's abundant plants for Western consumption and Western demand, you know, that plant medicine conservation is actually protection of sacred territories. Plant medicine conservation is actually protecting languages like the Mazateco language that is going extinct. 
and that has embedded with it an enormous amount of knowledge and wisdom about many different things. Entire worldviews are embedded in in languages, you know, words that point to something that open up a possibility or an understanding or a perceptual, you know, view that is not opened up in other languages because there's no word to point to that thing, which is really, really profound if you think about it. So, you know, plant medicine conservation is supporting our community that is also, you know, relying on these medicines for spiritual resilience and survival in the face of cultural and physical extermination and protecting their languages that have knowledge embedded about those plant medicines, you know, that are is lost and not to conserve it because we need that information and taking that information, but because we value diversity, cultural diversity, biological diversity. Diversity and what we point to as biocultural diversity, which is the way that people, plants and medicines and land are just inextricably interconnected and intertwined. And to honor that and bow at that altar and do everything that we can to support that and the, the thriving of that and the generations that are maintaining those sacred lands and those sacred medicines and those sacred songs for millennia to come. Yeah. I love what you said about being a part, you know, sitting in an ayahuasca circle and then becoming a part of that larger community by merit of that activity. And it it made me think about, you know, the things that people tend to focus on in terms of like, oh, well, I can wear this, 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 this bracelet or, you know, I could put on these clothes. You could take these certain aspects of the culture that might not really have anything to do with integrating your experience or any sort of reciprocity or right relationship and sort of like creating um, creating an ego or an identity out of that rather than what you're saying which, uh, of really truly connecting to the culture, yeah. to um, something that's bigger than yourself. Um, and again, I think that goes back to uh, a, a state of humility, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's so interesting because, uh, yeah, kind of going back to this understanding or this, this just awareness that we're so disconnected. It's like, if you really feel dedicated to the ayahuasca path, for example, then all of the curriculum of your growth and transformation, like everything that is embedded in the tending to the plant holds the key to unlock the doorway to your own transformation. Mm. Like way before even putting medicine to your lips. It's like if you actually show up and cultivate a relationship with the tending to the plants, you know, in teepee ceremony, it's like the the tending to the fire. There understanding your relationship to fire, understanding your relationship to water, understanding your relationship to plant medicines and plant teachers, like there is an enormous amount of wisdom embedded in the space between, in the relating to, in the cultivation and the tending to that relationship that really holds the key to our liberation, to our awakening, to our healing and to our transformation. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And that's something that I've admired within your content, you know, is talking about how the integration is not just about, you know, the couple of days after a ceremony, that it's really about creating a way of life for yourself that, you know, where you, you are in harmony with 
the things that you experienced in the medicine space and that you want to embody and then really like embodying that. And the, I think the acknowledgement that, that that's not always an easy process, you know, that that's not something that you can mm-hmm. do in a weekend or, you know, a few mm-hmm. days, um, that it's, it's something that takes time and is a process, you know, it's probably yeah. s- similar to growing a plant, you know, like it's, it's not, mm-hmm. you can't just drop the plant in the earth and then expect that you're going to have like a full tree or something like that, you know, the next day. And that's something that I talk yeah, about a lot true. as well, you know, on this podcast and with my coaching clients is like, Hey, like, don't just think about ceremony. Like, what are you doing around the ceremony? Like, how are you, how are you treating yourself? What sort of habits and practices do you have outside of the ceremony to get ready for the, for, to sit in these expanded states? What are you going to do afterwards, you know, so that you can remember and not just forget, you know? So it's not just like going to an amusement mm-hmm. park, you know, like the day after the amusement park, there's a huge memory, right? It's like, oh yeah, that roller coaster was so amazing. Like I, I've been to many amusement mm-hmm. parks in my lifetime. I, I can't remember every single roller coaster ride that I took. You know, maybe there's a couple of them mm-hmm. that have a couple of really vague memories, but there's no integration work around mm-hmm. that, right? So it just kind of is an experience right. and then it fades. So I really appreciate that you... Yeah you talk about that and that that's a part of like who you are and the message that you have for people. Hmm. Yeah. And slow and steady, you know, slow. we don't want to be implementing huge drastic changes, which is why it's a lifelong path, you mm-hmm. know, that's just ripe with, with healing and with, with realizations and insights. And we just open a little bit more at a time, you know, and, and that's just okay. Yeah. So you mentioned somatic embodiment and I think that that's like a really important thing to, to talk about and for people to learn, especially like you said, we're so disconnected, uh, in general from, from ourselves, from our body, from the environment. Hmm. What's one way that people could Mm -hmm. begin to cultivate that somatic awareness and embodiment? Oh, man, I mean, it's really, really, really simple and yet incredibly profound at the same time. There's so many entry points, but one of them is just becoming more mindful and aware of your breathing pattern. Um, so interoceptive practices where intero is, is awareness of your internal perception. So when you're, for example, sitting and talking on a podcast like this, can you also hold an awareness of temperature in your body of how you're breathing of your heartbeat, you know, and, and it takes practice. It takes practice, but it's learning how to create a bridge between external awareness and internal awareness. And for me, everything keeps coming down to understanding and working with our nervous systems. And I feel like the the medicine has been really uh, so informative for me in terms of really uh, like on a deep, on a deep cellular level of an understanding of just how much uh, our nervous system impacts us and our lives and what we pay attention to and how we show up and how we, you know, I, I frame so much of what I talk about within the context of leadership development, you know, and um, 
also trained with the Strozzi Institute embodied leadership training. And so there's, you know, a lot there. And then of course, when we start looking at like somatic awareness and Peter Levine's work, somatic experiencing, it's very much with a a trauma lens, you know, looking at the healing of trauma through somatic experiencing and, you know, where we are, we are somatic beings. And so it's not only applied to trauma, but also in the way that we, show up and engage with people in dialogue. And there's just an enormous amount of information that we can glean from if we slow down enough and just teach our minds to shine our light of awareness on the subtlety of our nervous system, subtle and sometimes not so subtle, you know, but the information that's coming from our nervous system uh, is, is vast and deep and we can learn how to work with that in a way that's conducive to healing. So you, yeah, you mentioned the psychedelic oriented leadership development and I'm curious to know more about that. Like what is, what does that mean? Yeah, there's so much to unpack around that. I really think of it as ceremonially informed leadership. So a lot of the work that I do, a lot of my clientele are more, you know, executive level and as well as entrepreneurs, but I also work with quite a a few people that are, you know, in the C-suite executive level. And, um, and so, and a lot of people, you know, the, the medicine is reaching far and wide these days, especially in the corporate space. And so I work with people through uh, integration as well and people who are working with the medicine and how do we apply these teachings and, and core gems that I are maybe, you know, it's a stretch to say universal, but there seems to be some like core pillars of, of, of wisdom that we can glean from a wide variety of, of plant medicine experiences. And so how do we bring those core teachings and also the teachings that we just are so blessed to receive from our plant teachers into the way that we show up and lead? you know, and, and it really is counter to, it's so counter to the, the structure and the system that we live in and the, the momentum of making decisions really quickly, which is not good or bad. You know, sometimes it's about, for example, core teaching is learning this dance between making it happen and allowing it to happen, knowing when that channel is clear and open and it's like clarity, it's crystal clear. You step forward, you know, the, the path is illuminated before your feet. You feel that clear inner knowing that this is the next step to take or the momentum of busy and doing and needing to produce because that's the expectation and, you know, the, the forcing, the pushing. And so when those moments are happening, um, because we live in such like a high expectation to be generating financial income all the time. And, you know, really our, our whole system is so counter to a lot of the wisdom we receive from our plant teachers, but looking at how do we slow down? How do we slow down and get aligned? How do we slow down and regulate our nervous system that's really balanced in a way that allows me to be healthy and, you know, be able to breathe in a way that that allows me to slow down and take care of myself and be able to lead from that centered place rather than that that pushing, you know? It's so for me, a lot of the the wisdom teachings actually go so hand in hand with the the, the wisdom teachings of Eastern philosophy. There's a, a really big overlap for me there. Um, but learning how to, you know, not 
we also live in, live in such like a, like a self-deprecating society and like so much self-criticism and, you know, self uh, just loathing that happens. So it's not like overstepping in this egoic way, but also not like under representing just like the, the, our humanity and our worth and how do we stand centered and tall in our dignity because we're alive and dignity is our birthright and lead from that place, for example. So much of, of that overlap with, with somatic embodiment and somatic awareness is like, how do we get centered? How do we get balanced? This ties back down to, you know, full circle to the beginning of like right relationship and harmonious alignment and medicines open up our eyes to subtle frequencies, you know, and, and dissonance, like what harmony and dissonance feel like in the body and being able to tune into the nervous system as a guidance system of like, oh, when I interact with that person, that really doesn't feel good on my subtle energetic body. I notice it when I think about uh, making this move in my business, I can really feel that in my body. It doesn't feel good. And then there's other times where, you know, and, and what I do with people in my training programs is I lay, lay also like a really strong foundation for understanding the neuroscience of psychedelics, the neuroscience of perception, somatic embodiment. How do we work with all these tools and go into, let's say, uh, a journey and learn how to leverage the power of our mind and the power of visualization and leverage the windows of, of heightened plasticity after a psychedelic journey to get more aligned with what we want to be creating and, you know, becoming more aware of the frequency of our thoughts and not from a, a woo perspective, but from like a very real understanding that our thoughts create stories, our stories create our reality, our, they create our lives. And so, you know, getting empowered to step into the driver's seat of, of how we're talking about who we are, how we're talking about how we relate to life to ourselves, to each other, to the work that we're doing. It's also very embedded in this understanding of right mm. relationship. Yeah, I can relate to a lot of what you just said. You know, before we hit record, I was sharing with you how I was feeling, which was kind of nervous. And it was it was really surprising because I was like, okay, I've been doing this podcast for a while. And oh my God, I feel like I'm doing my first episode again. You know, I'm just talking with somebody that that I admire mm -hmm. and that you know I've looked up to in the podcasting space mm -hmm. and just being able to um, to voice that and say hey you know just before we hit record mm -hmm. like I just feel like speaking my truth and the truth that's in my body right mm -hmm. now which is I'm feeling kind of nervous and that to me that's something that's fairly new um, my default would definitely be to like try to suppress that in some way or to mm -hmm. definitely not to voice mm -hmm. it. So, you know, either doing something mm -hmm. maybe before the podcast to help myself calm down in a not so healthy and embodied way, or just keeping it inside and then just being super jittery and not grounded, not focused. Right. And the, the, the beauty for mm -hmm. me and my experience is that as soon as I voiced what was happening and my experience, it started to break up. You know, because it wasn't like a secret or mm. something where I'm like, whoa, something's wrong with me. I've got to fix this. Um, it was like, no, this is just how I'm feeling mm -hmm. right now. And we're going to hit record anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not going to prevent me from, you know, doing what I came here to do. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I, I, to me, there's there's so much value in exploring all of those things that you talked about in terms of the embodiment 
in terms of having practices and a way to build awareness and building the awareness itself of, you know, how am I showing up? How am I feeling? Um, what's going on in my body right now? What's happening mm-hmm. in my nervous system? How's my breath? You know, mm-hmm. it's so, so such mm-hmm. a key one. So right. talking about practices, you know, this is a perfect example of, and, and such a powerful, um, book that I read the upside of stress from, uh, Kelly McGonigal's work, how we relate and the story we tell ourselves about how we're experiencing stress response in our body has such a huge influence. Uh, I mean, the thoughts that we think we know influence the, our biology, you know, just go dive into Mm -hmm. Joe Dispenza's work, Bruce Lipton. I mean, it's like all these, you know, uh, but Kelly McGonigal's book, uh, the upside of stress, such a good read. And so what we know is that if you're sitting here and you're telling yourself the narrative of like what you point to, you know, like, Oh my gosh, I'm nervous. And, uh, like we can suppress that and like, Oh, calm down. Okay. Just like, calm down, you know, just like trying to like get that the heart rate down. Or like, if you notice your palms getting sweaty and like trying to suppress it, or we can say really consciously step into a narrative that says, this is something I care about. Isn't this like remarkable to see that this is something I really care about. And the way that we frame the interpretation, because everything is an interpretation. When you start looking at the neuroscience of perception, which to me unlocks, you know, infinite portals and pathways to, to healing and transformation. When you look at the interpretation of how you interpret the signals in your body and you tell a story that's uh, quote unquote positive. I don't always like to use that word like positive, you know, but the, the, uh, a story that's conducive to, you know, something that you care about. And this is what I value that you actually release different levels of DHEA and cortisol in your body. So it's really powerful to actually work with the narratives and that's the thinking feeling loop. It's like, okay, heart rate is up. I can freak out about it or I can say, oh, heart rate is up. Like I'm feeling like bashful in front of this like love of my life or, you know, I'm feeling like something like that where it's like, you know, oh, isn't that sweet? Like I really care about this. And I use these tools as foundational practices before I lead workshops before I go get on stage where I'm speaking in front of hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And I channel that energy and I get excited and I'm like, oh, I leverage that energy and the narrative I tell myself to get into a flow state. And so that's like really powerful practice to bring into, you know, your mm. everyday life. I'll have to explore that more because I feel like it's something that I'm starting to have more awareness around, you know, exactly what you were saying, like about being excited mm-hmm. That's how I felt this morning. You know, that's how I felt last night thinking about, okay, tomorrow I get to have a podcast and talk with Laura Dawn. It was like, wow, look at, look at this thing that you're manifesting. Like, this is what you were thinking about when you were like, I'm going to start a podcast. And now here it is right, right in front of you. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Like Mm -hmm. getting excited and um, yeah, I'm going to check out that book because learning to, to leverage that is definitely a place that I'm at personally in my growth right now. You know, like I feel like I spent a few, I I do somatic Mm -hmm. um, experiencing work and I feel like there's been this shift Mm -hmm. in the last year going from like, let's use somatic experiencing to like clear out all the gunk and all the stuff that's stuck in there to like actually having resources to help me anchor things and to celebrate and to, 
like work on you know you, the the positive. I, I I also feel similar about that word. You know, it's it's all subjective, <laughs> but um, but yeah, like how can I how can I use these resources to celebrate to be more embodied to increase them and have them be abundant mm-hmm. and embody them even more in my life rather than mm-hmm. just like oh my god I'm, I'm i'm recognizing that i'm getting triggered right now and you know i have resources to like help myself out of that mm-hmm. you know right right yeah what, what came to mind when you said positive was like what is conducive mm-hmm. to growth and what mm-hmm. is not conducive to growth what's conducive to healing and transformation and awakening and what feels good and what just doesn't, you know, it's like opening versus closing. It might be even a better way of saying like positive versus negative. Yeah, I think you're right because at least for me, and I think a lot of other people during our healing journey, during our, you know, during our transformation there, that's one of the biggest shifts is like taking something where you felt like you were a victim or something that you felt was quote unquote negative and realizing the mm-hmm. blessings of that, realizing the gifts, realizing exactly what those things did for you that like brought you to this moment, to this present moment and like gave you the experience mm-hmm. to be standing where you're at, you know, and, and I think that that's a huge part of the stories that I've heard on this podcast is people that have gone through some sort of transformation through their dark night of the soul, through drug addiction, through, you know, um, Mm -hmm. disharmony. And then once they've gone through that transformation, they're like, cool, now I need to go pay that forward and like help other people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it doesn't really matter what the modality that they're practicing is. That story is so universal. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that just speaks to that, that shift of like, oh, well, something that I thought was a tragedy actually was a blessing and that that that's part of the journey is like ex- actually coming to that place in yourself because it's not something that somebody else can tell you you know like oh that happened for mm-hmm. a reason well until you're ready to hear that it's that can be really triggering you know but mm-hmm. i feel like we do mm-hmm. come to a place where it's like oh yeah that it did happen for a reason and i can appreciate that i can i can feel good about it um, maybe not about the mm-hmm. particular thing, but about what I learned from it or the places that it took me in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Totally <laughs> agree. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I think I'd like to kind of segue that into more of about your journey. I mean, when I look at you, um, I, you know, I, I first found you on. Tell me, what do you see? Right. I, well, okay. I first, I first found you on Clubhouse. <laughs> And you were, you know, oh. you were living on the big island and, you know, talking about growing medicine and microdosing with ayahuasca. And, um, you know, as I learned about you, like my my narrative or my perception was like, wow, here's somebody who's really embodying her truth and like living in a way that's very authentic to herself. And I think when like some of the things that you share um, within your content, within your social media and whatnot, in terms of like, Hey, it's time for me to, to leave Hawaii. Um, now I'm going to go to Austin and, you know, like, Hey, Austin's not really the place where I feel alignment or authentic. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go and explore someplace else. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the narrative that I have is that that is coming very easily to you. 
Um, perhaps that's my narrative, but that's okay. Um, so, but like, I'm curious about like, how did you come to this place where you're able to make these moves to, to flow in the authentic way that you do? Hmm. Wow. That's such a good question. Um, yeah. And like define it being easy. Like in some ways I feel, huh? Well, first of all, I've always been someone ever since I was a kid who liked to sort of hurl myself off the deep end. Hmm. That was, you know, do you want a, a metaphor for my life? Like one of the first earliest memories was my dad holding me under my armpits and counting to three and swinging me and then throwing me in the deep end and being like, you got this kiddo, you got it. Like you can swim, you know? And that was, I grew up in the water and diving and in the pool. And so, uh, but I've always had a very, very strong adventurous spirit. And so I started backpacking when I was very, very young. I left home when I was young. I had my first high dose psilocybin experience when I was about 14, you know, first real like, major altered state of consciousness experience, you know, uh, like smoking weed rolled in hash oil when I was like 12, you know, so I'm not saying that's good or bad or right or wrong. I'm just saying that's what happened. Uh, and I have, I think there is like nature versus nurture and, you know, ways of, of people that we just tend to be. And then also, you know, my environment growing up, I was the youngest of four kids and, my my parents had a lot of other things going on. They were a little MIA, but they loved me dearly. And part of the 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 message that I got from my dad growing up was, you know, anything you see in your mind, you can create in reality. He was such a visionary and he really embodied that. And my mother used to always tell me, uh, I trust your judgment. She went back to school when I was very young. I was about eight years old and she went back to school full time because she was uh, uneducated and had four young children and was in a marriage she didn't want to be in. And so she taught me so much about how to go for something that you want and what that takes to have perseverance and dedication and sort of by necessity, you know, she was like, kiddo, I trust your judgment. Like you can make good decisions. I don't always need to be there for you. This is how you use the washing machine and the dryer and the stove. And it was kind of like that, you know, and I'm so grateful for that upbringing um, and I also had, you know, the breakdown to breakthrough moments. Like my life has not been like peachy clean sun, sunshine and rainbows. I struggled with bulimia as a, as a teenager and depression and, and, uh, my early years of substance, my relationship to, you know, all substances was, was kind of all over the place, you know? Uh, although I did really find that, that, uh, psychedelics did really help, but I also struggled with addiction and found myself also struggling with cocaine addiction and other things, you know? And so it was not like a straight line to like liberation and healing. It's like, it's, you know, it's, it's not linear and it still isn't. And, um, I, I left at, after a rock bottom moment, you know, I was on the bathroom floor and I just said to spirit, like, please show me the way, because I feel like if I don't, if I keep going the way I'm going to go, uh, I, I'm just not going to make it through. And I knew in my bones that I, I was destined to contribute to humanity in some way. And I had just finished, um, my undergrad. I studied entrepreneurship, business, <laughs> finance, and I was kind of on the fast track to success. And I just didn't want that to be my life. And I was living in a city in Montreal and 
I hit a rock bottom moment and I packed a backpack and I left and I never went back. And that was it. It was really like that. You know, I gave everything away. I started all over again and I set out on what felt like an adventure of a lifetime where I was sort of simultaneously running away from myself and running towards myself, you know, looking for myself, but also running away. And, uh, and that's okay. You know, there's, there's also wisdom in that as well. And I hitchhiked across British Columbia for three months and, uh, it was such an adventure. And then I, I met someone one day hitchhiking (laughs) my, my, partner before, uh, before Noah, who I was married, married to for 10 years. And, uh, we spent a day together and that was it. And then, you know, I kept traveling and I took a one way ticket to China and traveled out of a backpack for months all through Southeast Asia and China and blah, 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 you know? And then one day I bumped into my ex in Thailand and we fell in love and I spent years of my life with him and Uh, and, and, and then I was with him for, you know, some years. And then I also had that knowing in my bones and, and his family taught me how to grow food and be like a homesteader and live off grid. And that was in British Columbia. And we stayed in the, on the land in the summer and traveled in the winter and chased the waves all over the world. We were super extreme adventure sportists, you know, motorbiking and surfing. And we wanted to do all the extreme things and combine it with large doses of psychedelics, uh, not to, not to take my advice on any of that. Um, and then when that happened, uh, when, when that came to a close, I left and I just knew in my bones that it was time to leave. And, uh, at this point, I was stepping into more of a, a much more conscious relationship to sacred plant medicines. My orientation around how I was working with medicines shifted. And I just felt a very strong call to go to the Big Island. And uh, so much happened. You know, I, I could share so many stories. But I left that relationship with nothing but uh, a van. And it was, a, it was an upgrade for how I, left, how I left Montreal, you know, in a backpack. This time I had a van and a dehydrator and a, a, a Vitamix blender and a juicer and, a, you know, more bins of clothes. Um, but then I ended up going to Hawaii and meeting my, my husband-to-be and who I spent 10 years of my life with and worked a lot deeper with plant medicines from like a visionary prayerful perspective and just received so much like insight and wisdom about how to work with medicines in that way and we ended up buying land and building a volcanic hot spring retreat center and you know it's just been life like life has unfolded and then just the knowing of when it's when a chapter is over it's time to to move on and So, you know, Noah and I uh, separated about maybe over a year and a half ago now, and it was just time for a change. I'd been on the Big Island for 10 years. I went through the volcanic eruption in 2018, uh, and that was really hard, and I had been coming to Costa Rica for many years, and I had a friend, I was on the phone with someone, a friend of mine who came to my last retreat and uh, I was living, you know, 50 feet from Noah and his new partner and they had been together for some months and we were, you know, all living on the land together. And my friend on the phone said, you know, I'm in Austin and I got an open spot here. Why don't you just come and land? 
So I did, you know, and I, I spent eight months in Austin and then was like, I am not, I don't belong in pavement. I don't belong in the city. I hadn't lived in a city in 20 years at that point. And so it was really, really fascinating to actually just like dip in and be like, oh my goodness, like that, this is what's going on, you know, from the majority of people. And then just so grateful to leave Austin and be back in the jungle, in the mountains where I feel like like I belong and really consciously been opening up this chapter of my life, you know, and looking for land now and ready to build a new home. And there's certain things that I value and that I will not compromise on. And like living outside, I just cannot compromise on that. It's what I value the most is being living in nature and being able to, you know, if I could show you my view right now, it's just like beautiful mountains and, you know, just like, yeah, rivers and, it's what I need to sustain. And it, it is actually the foundation of my creative channel and everything that comes through me is how I tend to my relationship with this earth. And it felt very dysfunctional to maintain all that I was maintaining with my programs, with grow medicine, with graduate school, all of the things without living outside. It was the first time in my life that I lived in an apartment and, uh, that I lived inside, inside four walls that did not move open, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing all that. Um, I'm curious. So do you feel like your relationship with the medicines that you've taken kind of has helped that clarity of like, this is what I'm going to do. This is the decision that I'm going to make and not sort of getting bogged yeah. down in any sort of doubt or fear and just making the decision. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I have a deep, uh, relationship with my plant teachers and, uh, that's, I think like the core essence of how I navigate this life is through bringing what I'm un understanding and ceremony into how I step out and make next moves in my life. And so, yeah, everything comes down to that. Everything comes down to, to ceremony, you know, and to the, to clarity, so much clarity is provided to us in ceremony and the way that we show up and pray and get clear. What are you praying for? What are you aligning with? You know, and a lot of the programs that I teach, uh, really illuminate that. Like, especially if we want to talk about peak performance, you know, throw that Venn diagram up on the, on the table. Um, you know, clarity is cult. The cultivation of clarity is a daily habit of peak performers. So most people don't really think about that or know that, but, and medicines have to be happen to be incredibly conducive to the cultivation of clarity. And that comes back to nervous system regulation and tuning into a different layer of reality that exists in us, through us, around us all the time that we are just not tuning into because our perceptual apparatus have become dull in certain ways. And the medicine turns on that perceptual awareness to tune into another layer to this life that we have the capacity to be in harmonious resonance with. And so, yeah, I have a, a deep predisposition to leaping into the unknown and to hurling myself over the edge. Every time I've done that from a place of clear knowing in my body, in my mind, in my heart, fear is there. Fear is okay. It's not like fearless. It's just that you feel the fear and you do it anyways because it's true. It's true for you to do that. And you don't leap because you're going to stick the landing. You leap because it's the experience of flying through the air, 
you know, and that for me is the essence of it. And also every time I've taken a leap from that place, I have been enormously rewarded. It sounds like also what you're saying is, you know, being able to do the work that you've done and have the practices that you've practiced. Also, there's some discernment there between natural amounts of fear. Cause like you said, fear is natural and like having an intuition about this being the right decision, um, at the right, at this, you know, particular time for yourself. Right. And cultivating a relationship to the awareness of in your body. That is the essence of what knowing is and not a lot of people, I think, tune into that enough (laughs) to the point where it's like, Oh, this is a knowing and I trust Mm. that knowing. So I I also cultivate a, a sense of trust with my nervous system, with my heart, with my intuition and through that cultivation of that relationship, you know, and it also comes back to this notion of like positive, negative, good, bad, and weaving in core teachings of Eastern philosophy. It's like when I and my ex-husband separated, it was devastating. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, my God, you guys were so happy. Like, I looked up to you like there's no hope for anyone now that you guys are breaking up. And, you know, it was kind of like that. And and it's like, I don't know if it's good or bad. And, you know, like and and it's all in how we relate to it. It's the, the narratives that we weave, you know, at the time, of course there was moments where it was like, Oh my God, was that the right choice? Did I do the right thing? You know, or was I just looking for something better? And, you know, in this moment being in a new relationship with someone that meets me on a level that is so far more harmonious than anything I've ever experienced, then I'm like, yeah. Now, now the, you know, you know, it's like, we don't know if anything's good or bad. It's all in mm-hmm. how we relate to it and how we open to life. And that's really the essence of wholehearted living and just staying open and knowing that we're here to experience the full range. And if we spend our entire lives trying to push away pain and grief and cling towards pleasure and joy, then that's a losing game right there. So it's like, And that's the essence of what medicines teach us is like, can you sit in the middle of discomfort without reaching for food, which without numbing out, without blaming, without going into a rage, without totally losing your shit? And actually, can you just sit there and feel and open? And what does that bring you into your life? You know, what is the outcome of wholehearted living and going for it? Because it's just the essence of, you know, like taking the leap, knowing, okay, this city isn't for me. Like, yeah. what's next? I want to experience, you know, the, the range of what life has to experience. And good thing, you know, that, that, that I, re- I really have volcanic eruptions and, and all. <laughs> yeah, that trust in yourself is really key. And I, I think for, for myself, and I, I think, I, I, I don't think that I'm alone in this feeling, but like, that's one of the things that I started to get from my plant medicine experiences is like going in with an intention and then actually having to ask myself, do I trust that I'm worthy of this? Do I trust that I am capable of the things that I'm asking for, you know, and then having to, you know, to integrate that, to, to unpack it and like go through the layers of like the narratives of like, well, I can ask for some, you know, the, the, the Joe Dispenza thing. It's like, well, uh, if it's great to meditate for 30 <laughs> minutes a day. And if you're spending the other 23 and a half hours telling yourself the exact opposite message or telling yourself about how, how you're not mm-hmm. worthy, 
you know, in various ways, then like how yeah. much is that meditation actually going to, you know, be helpful to you? Yeah. Oh, gosh, you know, this seed narrative of unworthiness is just like such a core it's such a, a core, like false yeah. lie in so many of our consciousnesses and psyches and the collective consciousness, especially in the West, you know, about it's like, God, if we could only see the miracle that we are and out of respect and humility and reverence for life, sit tall in our dignity and our worth because we were born and we're that's our birthright. You know, and how many problems stem from this sense of unworthiness is just mind blowing. Yeah, and, and that's really that's is. something that I've gotten from the medicine is like you directly experience that. Whereas, you know, meditation, I've I've, I've mm -hmm. I feel like I've experienced that in meditation, but mm -hmm. you know, oftentimes it's not it's not a very quick process. You know, and and it, <laughs> it's not something yeah. that uh, yeah, you yeah. know you might be able to access every time. Whereas. You know, being yeah. being in the medicine space, yeah. it's like right there. It's undeniable. It's it's experiential of like, okay, yeah. this is this is who I am. And yeah, and both, you know, I yeah. think both are helpful. Gosh, there's a quote. I wish I could. I got to memorize this quote. I always, uh, Jason Silva, he always memorizes so many quotes and he really inspires me to do that. But there's a quote about um, the psychedelic journey is like getting choppered to the mm. top of a mountain where you experience just so much awe, but also the erroneous belief that you made it there on your own. <laughs> so I kind of like to, to bring both and like get chopper to the top of the mountain, take that time, use it wisely, look down at where you are on the climb up the path, be like, oh, wow, look, I'm like veering off into the bushes there. So when I go back, like veer to the right a little bit, you know, like focus in this direction, pay attention. It gives us perspective and let's leverage that to the full capacity. But then like after enlightenment, do the laundry and find, you know, and that's why meditation to me is foundational. It's like such, such an essential part of my reality and my daily practice, because it also allows us to refine our awareness. So it's the daily practice of bringing the medicine work and the, the wisdom teachings of the medicine into our daily reality to refine our awareness. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, for myself, like somebody that's been practicing breath work for three, three and a half years, I, I base all of that and a lot of the medicine experiences on having a daily meditation practice for almost 20, you know, like that's the framework that, yeah. that I put all those things into of like, oh, okay. And, and, and I try to, to share that with people of like, yeah, it's great that you want to go sit in ceremony. Can you sit with yourself? you know, and just like focus on your breath for 10 minutes a yeah. day. Like if you're having trouble with that and you're going to go drink medicine and be in this expanded state for hours and hours and hours, how much benefit are you actually going to get out of it? Like maybe helping yourself along with different practices <laughs> of which meditation is, like you said, such a core foundation. It's just really a good idea. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, totally. I think it's it you know, sitting. It's how I refer to meditation. It's also how I refer to like my day, my solo practice yeah. with sitting with medicines. It's like, I'm going to right. sit this evening, you know, I'm going to 
show up and stay centered and show as best that I can. And, you know, Pema Chodron is such a huge inspiration for me. And she says, you know, staying on the dot. Mm. And I like that. It's like that understanding of just, and then it also really points to this somatic embodiment of what it means to be centered. You know, there's so many teachings inherent in what that means to stay centered. And I I love, we just sort of went full circle in terms of the words that we're using, you know, sitting, it's, you're right. It's, it's a wonderful way to, to describe that. Yeah, definitely. Well, maybe we can close on like what you feel your vital point is. Um, I know, I think there was something that I heard that you said like five minutes ago or so where I was like, oh, this is the vital point right here in terms of the embodiment and the, oh, the, can you remind just me? the embodiment and the trust and like kind of how you, how you live your mm-hmm. life. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm curious um, okay. So let's just go back mm-hmm. into, uh, <laughs> so mm-hmm. the name of the podcast is the vital point. And I actually came up with that through a Dzogchen Buddhist teaching, um, in terms of, uh, mm-hmm. the vital point, there's a teaching called the, the, um, the three statements that strike the vital point. And even though it, uh, is encompassing all of Zochen, which if you're familiar with that, is like this hugely profound, vast um, perspective of the view and the Buddhist path. It's literally just three sentences. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting because especially when we're sitting here talking about transformation, talking about these different practices, um, sometimes we can really strike the mm-hmm. heart of it. And sometimes we end up talking and, and elaborating yeah. and commenting on it for, for a long period of time. And so I thought, oh, that's a good name for the podcast. Yeah. So I've been asking my guests, like, what, what, what do you feel is your vital point in terms of your message or the way that you work with your clients or just the way that you want to embody yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's quite a number of vital points that I, I feel like I could point to. One of them, though, that I feel like is super core and so essential is paying more attention to what you pay attention to. And what you pay attention to becomes the content of the story that you write for your life. And I think medicines have a way of showing us, illuminating the direction that we're facing in terms of what we're paying attention to. And we we have limited perceptual awareness. It's more of like a spotlight, like flashing a a flashlight. And so you can be in this field of possibility. And yet our perception is focused on this one dot. And we tend to focus on that one dot over and over and over again, when all we have to do is like, look up and step away and zoom out and make a different choice for our lives and weave a new narrative. And we're literally sitting in the middle of transformation and the capacity to change the capacity to heal. But it's like being a fish in water. We don't always recognize that we have access to different levels of perceiving and, and awareness in any given moment. And that all we have to do is just literally like turn our heads and focus in that direction and start weaving a new narrative. And I think to me, that's a very core vital point. There are many more, but I think that that's a a core foundational one that weaves in an understanding of the neuroscience of perception, but also understanding belief systems and how we perpetuate trauma. And it also looks at how medicines teach us 
how to pay attention, you know, and, and even this past weekend, I, I did a solo sit with the medicine. I, I have a personal practice and there were teachings like I've shared that vital point in so many programs for so many years extensively forwards and backwards. And then even just this past Saturday, I felt like the medicine was opening up a different layer of teachings and understanding that I had previously never been privy to. So it's understanding the way that we use our mind, how we focus our awareness and how we constantly get taken off on thought trains and Meditation is just about coming back over and over again and being aware of where we're directing our thoughts. How is that thought impacting our body? How is it impacting the story that we're telling ourselves, our sense of identity? This is the pathway towards a life that is rooted in gratitude and humility and respect and transformation and awakening and growth and happiness versus a life that's in a hamster wheel you know, stuck going around the same struggle over and over and over again. And all we have to do is choose to step off the hamster wheel and pay attention in a different way. And so all that being said, you know, the vital point is that the, our awareness unlocks the key to transformation and how we choose to direct and shine that light of awareness is everything. It's everything. Thank you for sharing that. It's beautiful. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Laura Dawn. Oh, you're so welcome, Jonathan. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for the listeners, we'll you know check out the links that are posted, but um, Grow Medicine. And um, you can also go to lauradon.co to learn mm -hmm. more about Laura's offerings. And um, I can't imagine anybody listening to this podcast is not aware of the psychedelic leadership podcast that you host. So um, definitely check that out as well. Thank you. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a mm. pleasure. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I'd love it if you leave a review. Follow me on Instagram at Blue Magic Alchemy if you'd like to learn more about transformation, integration, and how to connect through coaching, breathwork, and meditation. Remember that regardless of the methods you're practicing, the vital point is to practice. <laughs>